At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Greg Peterson here, and welcome to the 295th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where three days a week we work together educating and inspiring you to become part of your food revolution. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWANTTOSAVESEEDS.COM and you'll receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. Today on our podcast, we have someone who has helped transform one food desert into a strong community resource. We're talking with Emily Mickley-Doyle about community gardening and food access. Emily earned her degree in sociology from Loyola University in New Orleans in 2008. In 2011, she co-founded Sprout NOLA, an urban farming organization that spreads the love of growing fresh, healthy food through community engagement and outreach, partnerships with local food vendors and food justice organizations, hands-on training programs, and advocacy. Sprout Nola grows market gardens throughout New Orleans, publicly advocates for sustainable agriculture, and coordinates the Refresh Community Farm and Market, a teaching garden that is located at the Refresh Project. The garden offers educational resources to community members about home gardening and facilitates an on-site community garden where neighbors can grow and harvest food for themselves. Welcome to the show today, Emily. Are you ready to rock? I'm ready to rock. Awesome. So I just shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Well, thanks for having me on the show today, Greg. And I'm really excited to talk about community gardening in New Orleans. I think I would like to start with just kind of how I got to growing my own food and how I decided that I'd really like to be able to teach others how to grow food for themselves as well. After I graduated college, I worked in community health for several years Mm -hmm. where I would work with people who were diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. I worked mostly in treatment adherence where I would help make sure that folks remember to take their meds every day and made sure that they were healthy and went to the doctor regularly. It was a drop-in center Mm -hmm. for folks who were living with HIV AIDS, and we had a whole lot of services that were that existed there, including a dietitian and a nutritionist. And what I really saw is the transformation of folks who utilized the nutritionist and really ate healthy, fresh vegetables in addition to their treatment adherence. So I was really, I became there really interested in fresh food access and what that does for your health. Oh, wow. So you saw a direct impact for people paying attention to the food they were putting in and the impact it had on their health. 
Oh, definitely. And also the community aspect of eating food together. At our drop-in center, we would share lunches often and we would share holiday meals together. Uh-huh. And just the coming together as a community around a table, the impacts of that besides just the nutritional impacts were just incredible. Mm-hmm. So it really inspired me to want to pursue a, a process, um, a career in food. And I was super interested in food access and specifically fresh food access. And I decided that I'd like to do that through growing my own food and teaching folks how to grow food for themselves. So I started to just learn how to grow. I didn't, I had a garden as a kid and experimented with it a little bit, but I didn't really know how to grow food, especially in New Orleans climate because I'm from Ohio. Right. And so I just started apprenticing with other urban farmers throughout the city and growing food together and just learning how to grow in our climate Mm -hmm. and got into that. Uh, got into market gardening for after growing growing food. So mm-hmm. I was just selling growing food and selling food to restaurants and local market direct marketing and got involved, but was still really interested in food access and really making sure that food fresh food was available to everyone. So when an opportunity came along with the redevelopment of this big old grocery store that had gone out of business for many years and since it had gone out of business, the neighborhood that we work in now, was considered a food desert. So Mm -hmm. I was involved in the redevelopment of this big building into what we call a community health hub, which offers a variety of resources for folks to be able to live their healthiest lives. And we became the community garden partner in that project. Wow. So you turned an old grocery store into a community health hub. Yeah. So we have a place, we have the community garden, we have the market, We have a work training program for young people. We have the Goldring Center for Culinary Medicine, which is the world's first medical teaching kitchen. So it Mm -hmm. teaches doctors how to use food as medicine rather than just pharmaceuticals. And they turn around and teach community members free classes on how to cook for their health as well. There's a grocery store there. There is a Boys Town, Louisiana, which works with young people and families, as well as a, a school system and another organization that works with permanently affordable housing and commercial development. Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to bring in all of those pieces of what helps to create a foster a healthy community. Mm -hmm. And we work really integrally with all of those partners to make that happen. And we focus on the actual gardening part. So there's a garden on site where neighbors can adopt a plot and grow food for themselves and learn how to grow. Wow. So that must be the Refresh Community Farm. Yep, that's the Refresh Community Farm. We're really proud of it. Congratulations, by the way. That's a a big accomplishment to get that started. But if I was standing at the doorway or the gate of the Refresh Community Farm, what would I be seeing? What's it look like? Kind of give me a mental picture of what I would be seeing. Yeah, so we just have a little wooden fence gate and then just wire fencing around, like cattle fencing around the farm it's their raised bed and we intentionally created outside of the fence along the entire fence line our garden boxes where people any literally anybody in the whole who wants to can just come and harvest herbs and flowers and vegetables wow. that grow up the fence line so you don't have to participate in programming to still be able to utilize the gardens and then when you walk into the gate there's multiple beds, four by four boxes, mm-hmm. where 
each family or community member adopts their own box and they grow and they grow whatever they'd like for themselves from we have we're in a subtropical climate so we right now are growing okra and eggplants and malabar spinach we've got mm-hmm. papaya we've got basil we've got a lot of late summer things and are getting ready to put our fall crops in right now right we have a compost system and we have also additional beds where if neighbors don't want to actually take on the responsibility of adopting their own box that's Uh a lot to take care of but they still want to participate they can come to what we call volunteer for veggies times which is is basically a time every day for two hours where there's a mentor gardener out there and they work folks can work together in the garden and then share the, the harvest at the end of the time. Wow. All of the food is, is distributed to the community through service hours or just commitment to tending boxes. Nice. And you call that volunteering for veggies? Yep, volunteer for veggies. That's <laughs> our program every day for a couple of hours, kind of like open office hours. A lot of folks will also come if they've got their own gardens and they just like an extra set of eyes on an issue that they're having in their garden or if they just want to chat about a specific problem that they're having, mm-hmm. a pest or a disease that they're having just to get some extra support, they know that they can just pop in and that there'll be a master gardener or a mentor gardener there who can help diagnose what's going on or help think through a problem that they might be having in their garden or just gain extra garden experience through hands-on just working in the garden. Wow. So what made you want to start Sprout Nola? Well, I got into growing food in the first place because I was very interested in food access and food equity and sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to translate the skills that I had learned in learning how to market garden to a wide audience. So when I had the opportunity to join the Refresh Project, I was really able to spread that knowledge of growing your own food to everyone for free. I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a subsect of the population who was able to access fresh local food through restaurants, mm-hmm. but I wanted to make sure that if anybody wanted to grow their own food, that there were resources available for them to do so. Got it. And what does it stand for? Sprout Nola stands for sustainable produce reaching our urban table. So that really speaks to exactly what I'm saying, that there's yeah. actually local food that is getting to anybody here in the city, not just mm-hmm. a certain part, subsect of people in the city. And what about the NOLA part? NOLA stands for New Orleans, Louisiana. Oh. We call that NOLA, NOLA is a, an abbreviation that lots of people in the city use for oh. New Orleans. Oh, very good. Got it. <laughs> I learn something new every day. And your mission? I think you've probably danced around and touched on it, but do you have a specific mission? Nola uses gardening as a tool for healthy food access and community health and as a platform for building community and food sovereignty. We work with partners to establish an intersectional network of solidarity to build power in our communities for food, social, and economic justice. We offer programs where individuals and families can learn to grow food for themselves on site and take away fresh seasonal produce in exchange for their volunteer service. Nice. And is your mission being filled? Well, we grow thousands of pounds of food every year and it's all distributed to community members. We also work in policy and advocate for sustainable agriculture, sustainable community-based 
food policy. And we've had some successes in that arena as well. So I would say, yes, it's being fulfilled. Wow. And this has been going on since 2011. 2011 was when we were working in our market gardens and Mm -hmm. distributing food that way. And then the Refresh Community Farm opened in 2014. So this is our third year in operation. Wow. Congratulations. I've started projects like this before. Well, I actually didn't start them, but I've worked on starting them before. And I know how much energy that it takes, energy and commitment, really, that it takes to get something like that up and running. So congratulations. Thanks so much. And I think that there were a couple of programs that I'd really like to chat a little bit more deeply about what we do. We also have a lot of kids programming at the Refresh Community Farm. So we have a monthly kids club where kids from the neighborhood usually walk to the club and learn about growing their own food. And it's usually Mm -hmm. the same kids. They know each other. They're friends. They are familiar with the garden boxes. This is a long-term thing that they do. And they also learn about what that means for the larger food system and why Mm -hmm. exactly growing your own food is important, as well as we'll have little demos outside where kids can make butter and dip their veggies in like the radishes and in salted butter, or they will do, they'll make pickled okra or some type of quick cooking activity out in the garden where they're actually able to test the things that they're growing. And then we have a camp every year for kids. We do a week-long gardening, cooking, nutrition, and wellness camp with all of our refresh partners. That's free for the community where 20 kids come out for the week, as well as gardening classes in conjunction with the Goldring Center for Culinary Medicine, where the kids will garden for an hour, they'll harvest the food, and then they'll take it into the Goldring Center where they will cook the food with medical students. Wow. So I have to tell you, I started gardening in 1975. Wow. I was 15 and I was pretty much on my own. My mom knew a little bit about gardening. I'll tell you what, a program like this would have transformed my life. I think so too. I remember loving gardening as a kid. I was fascinated. I'm basically the same person now that I was when I was eight. So if kids are excited about it now, I feel feel Uh like it will translate into adulthood. We also have a farmer's market that's on site. That's really special because we really work with, once again, our very local geographic-based community with a lot of small-scale farmers, a lot of urban farmers to make sure that the market is accessible to them and low barrier, as well as with community entrepreneurs who may Uh have a value-added product like pickles or jam or a baked good that they were just cooking for their families for fun and it was delicious, but they didn't ever really think that was a sales opportunity. So right. we almost work like an incubator space where folks can start up, get their feet wet, see if this is something that they might like to do for a job. So we've had community gardeners who went from putting seeds in the ground for the first time, watching their stuff grow, eating it, sharing it with their families, and then also exploring the ideas that they might like to sell their products at at a market. It's been incredible to see. We work with a lot of cottage food-based products, Mm -hmm. so folks that don't have to be produced in a commercial kitchen that are relatively low risk, that have less overhead, and people can just cook them from home and bring them as long as they have proper labeling and sell them at our farmer's market. Wow. So I hear in your speaking, you've, you've mentioned medical students a couple of times. Mm -hmm. You have a program around that as well, right? Yes. 
So medical students, they work with the Gold Ring Center. They're the folks who use the food in the kitchen as medicine. But part of the medical student time and the dietetic student time is spent actually with their hands in the dirt gardening, too. We have folks out in the garden learning how to actually grow the food um, Mm -hmm. that they're utilizing in the kitchen. And one more, a community gardener leadership program. Yes. When we first started the garden, it's a pretty monumental task. We have about 50 garden beds in total. Some Some of them are for the larger volunteer for veggies program, but most of them are for community gardeners. When we built it, the garden was entirely built by volunteer labor, but building a sustainable, well-maintained, well-accessed, well-utilized community garden. We have our ups and downs with larger kind of community gardener, well-attended scale projects. So Uh we started out with a few gardeners and just slowly built this over time. And we now have over 30 gardeners who are gardening on site for themselves. And we have a monthly meeting and we call it a pot lunch. We have a work day in the morning and then we sit down and share a meal together at lunchtime. And that's when we really have our meetings, the meat of what we're trying to do in the community garden. And it's been amazing to see gardeners who being their first time ever putting seeds in the ground to growing beautiful vegetables, to getting to know their neighbors, to planning larger scale community-based projects together. And as the community garden has grown and specifically the community part of the garden has grown, folks have been really interested in taking on leadership roles in the garden. The gardeners wrote a grant together to be able to offer part-time work. So gardeners have decided that they are interested in taking on leadership roles for part-time pay. So they wrote a grant themselves to have part-time jobs in the garden and have written their job descriptions, written their roles, figured out how accountability works, and are ready to roll out that program this month, actually. So it's been amazing to see folks go from never planting a seed in the ground before to really community organizing and thinking about what are the impacts of the garden, not just in fresh food access, but as a community resource and kind of a hub and what they can do to facilitate that. Wow. So you've really brought the community together. It's been a work in progress and it's been everyone. I cannot believe how invested the neighbors have been in this garden since the Mm -hmm. very first day. So Emily, I want you to think over the entire landscape of everything that you've been doing. And uh-huh. I want to know if you have a story, that maybe one that moved you that when they showed up, that something happened, that was that moment that you said, oh my gosh, this is why I do what I do. And you get chills and maybe even were moved to tears. You got one of those? I do have one of those, Greg. Actually, it was... I'm pretty lucky because it was pretty early on in the building of the Refresh Community Farm. And I was standing out there on the patch of grass. It was nothing. There was no garden there. There wasn't anything growing. There wasn't anything edible. There were no flowers. It was just a patch of bare land. And I was standing out there, I think, taking measurements, I think, through the planning of the garden. We knew that we were going to build this garden in X amount of weeks and that we would have we were going to have a party, a celebratory opening for the garden. So we had put 
flyers out in anticipation of that to make sure that our neighbors knew that they were invited, but there was no garden yet to celebrate. I was standing out there taking measurements and making our plans for how we were going to get this monumental task done in just a few weekends. And a kid rode up on his bike and introduced himself, said, hi, I'm Sam. How old is he? He was 13 years old at the time. And he said, hi, I'm Sam. It's really good to meet you. And I said, hi, good to meet you. You know, I'm Emily. And he said, and he said, I heard there was going to be a party here in a couple of weeks. And I said, well, of course there's going to be a party. You're totally welcome to come. I really hope to see you there. We're really looking forward to it. We're going to be building a garden here. And he was like, kind of stood there and was like, yeah, that's cool. I'll be there. And he just kind of kept sticking around for a second. We had this moment and I was like, well, do you want to, I'm measuring, would you like to help? And he said, well, yeah, if there's going to be a party here, I better help get ready for it. <laughs> nice. And he didn't even see, he hadn't even seen the garden yet. He just was ready to help get his, get his hands dirty mm -hmm. and get it going. And ever since then, he was our first gardener and he built the garden, brought his siblings. They tend their box at the garden Three years later, they're in high school now. They developed a curriculum wow. in how to food systems class to our camp. And Sam was one of our community researchers when we, we just did neighborhood surveys to find out what the community feels about the garden and, mm -hmm. and the refresh project and how we can and just get to get some feedback. And Sam was one of our community researchers for the summer. And so it's just been incredible to see him go from standing on that space when it was not when it was nothing but a bare patch of grass uh -huh. to all of the food that he's grown to all of the conversations he's been able to translate and to being able to actually be one of our researchers to hear the feedback from our community and engage with our community in a really deep way that's what's so incredible it's the people who are involved yeah. in this and their commitment to the project to the garden and to each other that is just really inspiring and has driven this work Wow. How does that make you feel? Well, I just feel lucky to be able to be a part of it. Everyone is so special. Everybody, it's like a family. Mm -hmm. So when I go there, we had our pot lunch last week and we had a, a summertime break for July and August because it's like brutally hot here in New Orleans in the summertime. Right. We put our stuff in cover crop and then we take a little break. It's almost like our winter time mm -hmm. in New Orleans. And so we take a programming break in July and August, but then we, when we come back in September, we get to see each other. We haven't seen each other in a couple of months. It's just like old times, you know, we do our garden day and we have our pot lunch and we chat and we have our meeting and that's where our decisions are made. And I was just overwhelmed with how much I missed everyone and how mm. important everyone mm -hmm. was to each other. It's this, it's this incredible support network and I'm just grateful to be able to be a part of it. Well, that is truly epic. My listeners all know that I look for epic, and that is. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, you bet. So I'm going to shift on you now, and I'd like for you to share about a time that you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. Oh, that's such a good question, Greg. Failure. <laughs> we have failed many times in the past six or so years that we've been working in the gardens, everything from crop failures to planning failures and all of that. But I think the thing that I've learned the most from before we started at the Refresh Community Farm, when we were market gardening, we were working mm -hmm. on spaces in the city where we would make a verbal agreement with the landowner or um, have some type of arrangement with the landowner 
be really excited about our space, spend all of this time and money and investment and blood, sweat, and tears transforming a blighted or unused property into a vibrant garden. And I can remember once this first specific time, it was our first space. It was in 2011, and we had this garden space. We had it all planned out. We were so excited. We had a verbal agreement with the landowner that we could utilize the space for as long as we needed. And we kept asking for a contract, like a lease, um, and they kept delaying, delaying. And then we got, everything was all set up. We had our irrigation going. We had our beds built. Wow. Our first plants were growing. We were ready for our first harvest. And they actually said, they decided that they didn't want a garden on the space anymore. And so we had to, since we had no protections, we had to pull up all of our stakes and leave. And it was heartbreaking. It happened to us in different ways and caught me off guard every time over the past, uh, over the subsequent several years. I've seen it happen to other urban growers in the city, especially when land becomes valuable. I have learned from those experiences to really, A, protect myself when I'm going to enter into a relationship with a piece of land that I really care mm-hmm. about and put a lot of time and, and effort and love into. And also it taught me to advocate for the larger scale issues with urban spaces and agriculture. So that's really one reason why we came from a background in actual technical assistance in growing our own food, but we've decided out of necessity that we also additionally need to move into a space of advocating for agricultural land and sustainable agriculture policy oh, yeah. in the city. I would say we've lost a lot of land and that's been probably our most heartbreaking part of growing. Yeah. And also we're working to overcome it by speaking up for ourselves. We would highly recommend that folks protect themselves with their growing endeavors because I know gardeners yeah. and I know how much love they put into their spaces. Folks want to feel protected and be valued over the long term. I do need to throw in here, this is a really, really important piece of data to address. If you are looking at doing a community garden, a community farm, a garden at a church or a school, you need to make sure that you have some kind of legal protection in place so that you don't get stuck like that. Recently, we had a large property here in Phoenix that was being farmed. They were told that they would have up to a year to move off of the property. I think it was a year-to-year or a three-year lease or something like that. And they had dozens and dozens of community farmers in there. And, you know, it it was 10 acres, so it was a big property. And just after the beginning of 2017, they got notice that they needed to vacate the property in 30 days. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. It's heartbreaking. It made national news. My rule about doing a community embedded project is that our organization, whoever I'm working with, needs to own the land or needs to have at least a 25-year lease on the property. Because if you're going to put that kind of work and that kind of infrastructure on a property, you need to have that protection in place. You're exactly right, Greg. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story. And I've heard stories like that, heartbreaking stories like that over and over again. And I know it can feel so discouraging on an individual level. And so many growers have lost land. Mm -hmm. It's just something that I think needs to be brought to light in the conversation. Really, the step to take is don't plant 
Don't do any infrastructure work. Don't do anything until you either one, own the property or two, you can get a 10 to 25 year lease in place so that you know that the work that you're going to be doing on that property is going to be preserved. Yeah. And I think our naivete was our failure at the beginning of this process. Um, And I just wanted to share that. So hopefully it can protect somebody else the next time. Right. So they'll they'll know that when they're entering into a relationship. Yeah. In in urban urban ag or in ag in general. Yeah, my my friend Joseph, who I've had on the podcast, he runs Arizona Microgreens. He came to me about five or six years ago and was looking at spending $100,000 and putting that greenhouse on this particular property. I looked at him and I said, Joseph, I wouldn't spend a dime on that property because there wasn't a long-term lease in place. So just that that's a big thing, a big conversation that you all need to have. If you're going to do some community embedded work, make sure you're covered. Yes, indeed. So what do you consider your biggest success? Well, on the flip side, I think our our biggest success has been, we, we were talking about the Refresh Community Farm earlier, and mm-hmm. I think that the birth of it was has been our bi- biggest success. Oh, yes. We are community gardeners and urban farmers who had no startup access to any kind of cap. So when we had all of these conversations, these roundtables with community and partners, about what they wanted to see at the Refresh Project, everybody's like, yeah, 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 community garden. We want to we want to garden on the site. And we knew that we had the technical experience to make that happen, that we uh-huh. could design it and plan it and implement it. But we didn't have any money, we didn't, not, right. not a dollar really to put towards this and not a whole lot of capacity to raise a lot of funds. It's not like we're a big organization with lots of full-time folks, fundraisers and staff that could implement this project at the front end. Mm -hmm. And what was so incredible was to go from this vision of what we wanted to see at the Refresh Project, the Refresh Community Farm, to actually being able to raise the funds to make it happen. We wrote grants like crazy trying to get this up and running. Mm -hmm. We had this opportunity to be in the running for this grant. It was called the Garnier TerraCycle 2014 Green Garden Grant. And we were a finalist in it, and it was to build out an entire garden. We were up against a garden in LA, one in Chicago, one in DC, one in New York, and Detroit. We were New Orleans, so we're not only the only people in Louisiana who were up for it. We were the only people in the entire South who were up for it. So we really wanted to get this garden, and this was pretty much our only shot because I think that was the only way we were going to really get enough funds to actually implement this project. And all of the other projects, we looked looked them up on, on all of the social media and everything, and they all had existing gardens, and they all had way more funding and support and capacity and social media followers than we did. And we're like, oh, no, there's no chance. It's like a David Goliath situation. Right. But we organized, it was it was a voting campaign. So it was like one of those click campaigns, but it wasn't just one time. We had to vote every day for three months. Oh. So we had to keep engagement around this garden for people to click every day for three months which sounded like a monumental task. I mean, it's hard to get people to get online and click one time. So we're like, okay, well, we're going to give it our best shot. We're probably going to lose, but let's do this. We got this big group of folks together 
who were so deeply invested in making in just dreaming this garden into existence that they would set their alarms and they would vote at the same time every day. And at the end of the time, we won with with twice as many votes wow. as the next garden across the country. So, and we didn't have anything. We just had the support of our community. And we won this garden. It gave us everything that we needed to get started. That was really the story for me that you can dream something into existence. Wow. If you have the support of your community yep. and the right circumstances, we had no idea how we were going to build this garden, but we were so loved and we were so surrounded that it, it made it happen. And I, I would say that was our bi- biggest success. I love that you said dreaming this garden into existence. That's beautiful. It, it's true. Thanks, Greg. So what drives you? I think I've touched on this a little bit, and I, you're probably going to already know my answer, but really it's the people that we garden with and the folks who come to the garden in the market. We're a community farm, a community garden, and we love that we're able to grow food and that people have the opportunity to see how food grows and to see different varieties of food than necessarily they would see in the grocery store and to be able to taste the difference of what local, fresh, sustainable food tastes like compared to some industrial food. I think that when we say community garden, that's the garden part of it, but really it's nothing without the community part of it. What drives me are the relationships that are built over the garden and over sharing the food that comes out of it. Yeah. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? There's this book that I read recently, and I'm sure you, you all do a lot of podcasts, so there are a ton of books. I, I hope it, it's probably going to be a repeat, but I was just really excited about it. It came out a year or two ago called Pawpaw in Search of America's Forgotten Fruit. No way. Really? Moore. Really? Yeah. Wow. I yeah, have you- just interviewed him the other day, and the book, the book on my headboard right now is that book that I'm reading. I was reading it this morning. <laughs> it, it is. I am such a fan. It's historical. It's botanical. It's folkloric. It's just an incredible book about this great fruit that is native to the United States and specifically kind of the Appalachian shed. It's, it's actually, it's native ranges a little north even right. than wh- where we live, but it's just takes you through this incredible story of this this native fruit tree that grows in the U.S. Yeah. And I highly recommend it. He was on your show just recently? His name is Andrew Moore, episode 289, so you guys can go back and check it out. His book was Papa in Search of America's Forgotten Fruit. How funny is that? That's amazing. Well, there we go. We're on the same wavelength. It's a good one. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? A final piece of advice that I would have would be we do work in community gardening and we see the little things. We're really excited about the little things in the garden, right? I, I think talking to other gardeners, we work at a different pace than a lot of a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. We know that a season takes time, that you can delight in a freshly built garden bed that has all the potential and doesn't have anything in it yet, but you can see what it's going to look like in a few months, that you take delight in that, that you take delight in those beautiful first green shoots of sprouts Hmm. that are coming up. And also 
when everything is in full bloom or at its fruiting stage and also in taking it out to plant the next crop. And I think that gardeners are specifically positioned to understand how that relates to life. When we talk about failures and success, I think being a gardener has particularly positioned me to understand that in a different light. Yeah. And I think that if you're struggling with a specific thing, whether it's a crop failure or if it's something bigger than that, I think that to draw on those experiences in the garden to think big picture, sometimes something isn't all the way played out yet. Like we don't know what the long-term outcome is going to be. And it could be really beautiful, even if it takes time to get there. I've learned so much about life from the garden. And I think that (laughs) taking those contexts of things that we learned in the garden and applying those to life would be my, my biggest piece of advice for the gardeners who are listening in on this show. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Emily. Thanks for having me, Greg. I'm excited to chat today and I'm looking forward to coming back in a few weeks. Yeah, so it looks like we already have you scheduled to come back and talk about food activism and education. So that show will be a little different. We don't have the as much of a structure. That's, that'll be more of an educational piece that you and I do. Very excited about that. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, you can go to our website. We're at www.broutnola.org. We have a contact us part of the website. And if you just shoot us a message, it'll come right to me. It'll come right to my email. And I'm happy to chat back and forth with you about whatever you'd like to chat about. Fantastic. You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash Sprout Nola. That's S-P-R-O-U-T-N-O-L-A. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Growing plants that thrive in your yard is a lot easier than you think. It starts with saving your own seeds and letting them remember what they already learned. Just text SEEDS to 33444 or visit IWantToSaveSeeds.com and you'll receive our free webinar about why seeds matter, why saving them is easy, and how you can save your own. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.